The NASDAQ fell to a two-year low today since September of 2020, led by decline in chip stocks. Plus, Credit Suisse has been in the news as the next Lehman Brothers. But is that true? Finally, over 200 millionaires revealed their secrets to gaining wealth. We will discuss all of this and more on today's Mach 1 Market Moment. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, welcome back to the Mach 1 Market Moment. This is Mike Frost. I'm joined here with Lee Mackey and Eli Freeman. Eli, you got a birthday coming up, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, 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 all right. Hey, and today is episode 122. Wow. Okay, today we'll be covering some headlines. We're recording this on Monday, October the 10th, and as of this morning, the NASDAQ has fallen to a two-year low that's since September of 2020. Eli, you got anything you want to add to this? I mean, there's many ways that you can look at that. It's a reset of two years is what we're looking at right now. So if you had invested before 2020 directly straight into the NASDAQ, you would actually be up. So we've gone back and we've reset two years and it's it's been really painful painful for our clients painful for for us seeing the effects of the downturn in the nasdaq but there's a a lot of different ways that you can look at that i i was listening to a podcast talking about the s p 500 now that's a different index than the nasdaq but eli let's help the listeners nasdaq what's it mostly made up of what's involved in that index nasdaq is primarily tech it's technology companies. It's typically considered more of a growth index. Examples would be? You know, an example would be Amazon. Um, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is if you have in your symbol, if you have two or three letters, you're on the, the main New York Stock Exchange. If you have four symbols, you're on the NASDAQ. So as a general rule, if there's four letters in the symbol, it's NASDAQ. Two or three, it's on the New York there's a fun fact I bet you didn't know. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're talking about tech stocks in the NASDAQ. All right, go ahead, Eli. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. So, and, and typically tech stocks are going to fall faster than stocks that are more considered what, what would be considered value. What they mean by value is stronger cash flows or stronger balance sheets. There's not as much price to earnings, meaning that people think there's going to be a crazy amount of growth in the next couple of years for a company. So the value companies typically just fall slower. So the NASDAQ... And if you go back to 2000, NASDAQ was down 80, 85%. Now it's down 25%. So tech stocks are going to fall faster, and typically they, they climb faster. The NASDAQ 100 for the past 10 years has crushed the S&P 500 just because the tech stocks have, have been booming here as of recent. And, and all we're seeing is a repricing. And the S&P 500 now, we just we explained the NASDAQ. S&P 500 is made up of what? S&P 500 is made up of the 500 largest companies 
in America. There That's the go. simplest way, simplest way to put it. So you got the behemoths versus the the nimble. Mm-hmm. Got it. And there, there can be a little bit of overlap between the two, but it, I was listening to a podcast and what they were talking about was if you invested any time that the S and P five hundred was down twenty five percent, and that there's some bad times. If you take a step back and think about the times that S and P five hundred was down twenty five percent, you're thinking of two thousand eight. 2020, COVID, uh, dot-com bubble, 1987, the recession of 1982, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Bad circumstances and, and bad things going on in the economy. A lot of fear, you might say, kind of like what we're experiencing right now. If you invested when the market was down 25% around that time, what would your returns look like? And oh, one year later, on average, the returns are over 20%. Hang if on, you, hang on. So, so what you're saying, if somebody jumps in the market right now when the market's where it's doing and they have some cash sitting on the side and they jump in right now, history has shown that in a year from now, they'll be what? It, over 20%. Up. Up. Wow. And, it, and the same is true over three years. On average, it's over 40%. Five years, on average, it's over 80% returns. And in a 10-year period, it's over 200% returns. Now, we're not guaranteeing any returns here. No. We're just showing what history is. So if we, if you're investing right now, then a year from now, you should be up, if averages hold out, about 20%. And that's crazy, right, Mike? That is crazy. <laughs> that, that you should buy when it's low. And, and that can be looked at both ways. Buy when it's low or, if you're in retirement, hold when it's low. It, that, that goes both ways, both for people who are working and have cash flow to put into the market or are retired and, and just need to hold on while, while the market's low. Well, it, it makes perfect sense. When do you want to go buy something? You, when it's on sale. When it's on sale. You know, when it's on rollback, red tag, or whatever you want to call it. That's when you want to get it. I would say since the market's down 20 25%, <laughs> I think we're on sale. You know, and just, you know, one thing that they teach you and you learn in math class or you learn – you know, at some point in a, in a college class, if your account's down 30% and then you go up 30%, you're still not back to where you started. Let, let's and, use the numbers on that. So okay. you got $100 and you lose 30%. Now you're down to $70. $70 makes 30%. 30% of 70 is 21. You're up to 91. You're 91. So you got to make more than the 30% to get back to even. So, I mean, that's and not discounting what what Eli and the the numbers that he was just sharing with us. But it it is good to know. I mean, those there's power in numbers. Um, And and so that's why you you know, that's why the numbers are what they are. They you know, if if you wait, you will be rewarded or you should be rewarded if history um, repeats itself, which it typically does. Mm -hmm. And it's I mean, it's scary thinking of all the things that are going on right now with the Fed raising rates at a rapid pace and inflation going on. But all I'm saying is if you look back, it makes sense to buy when it's low. <laughs> well, and we talked about this before the podcast started. It depends on where you are in your life. You're like, Eli, you having a birthday here soon. Uh, man, you should be pouring money in. If you got it, pour it in. If someone's getting in or near retirement and they need to start taking money out, hey, that's when we should have had a plan to have some cash on the side so you don't have to pull it out during a downturn. I mean, 100% agree. It's, um, you know, I think Matt and I kind of communicated that in um, a market update a couple weeks ago that, you know, if you need cash for 
a, a big purchase coming up, well, you probably should have cash out right now. And you, and our clients probably do. If you are, you know, at a phase in your life where you need income, we have that um, solved as well. If you're in a growth period, well, these, these things happen and markets go up and down and, you know, and you just have to exercise patience. Mm-hmm. One, one thing to consider, and we've talked about this a lot as a team of advisors, is if, if you were planning to do Roth conversions in 2022, I would heavily consider performing that Roth conversion now because the market is down 20, 25% depending on, on which index you're looking at. So I, I was at, um, I talked to a, a, a young kid. I say a young kid. He was 24. Oh, he, he's Eli's age. Um, I talked to a 24 year old this weekend and he just got a new job. He has some money in a 401k. He's been working for a while and he was kind of asking what he should do. And without even missing a beat, I was like, convert that 401k to a Roth IRA. You're going to pay a little bit of tax. But in his case, that probably means that he just won't get as big of a refund back. And then now that money is going to be in a Roth IRA. It will not be taxed for the next 40 years or so. And then when he goes to pull those funds out, he doesn't have to pay tax on the distributions as well. So this is a unique opportunity. I mean, yes, we are trying to find, make lemonade out of lemons and trying to find the roses amongst the thorns right now. But there are some. There are some good opportunities. And this is one of them. Those Roth conversions uh, may make sense. But obviously, as, as with all things, you know, talk to your financial advisor to see if it makes sense in your situation. If you had talked to your advisor about doing Roth conversions and you're kind of waiting to see how things, here we are at the end of the year, you pretty much know what your income is, you know what tax bracket you're going to be in, and this is a great opportunity. It's almost a gift if you want to look at it like that. Now, those of you that are 63 years old or older and you do a Roth conversion, you got to make sure that it doesn't affect your Medicare payments, this thing called IRMA. Uh, if you're not sure what that is, we're not going to discuss that on this today's podcast. We'll be happy to talk to you about it. But don't just run out and do a conversion. If you're a little bit older thinking about retirement, that, that might cause you some problems. But if it's part of your plan, man, it's an opportune time to do it. All right. So we've talked about NASDAQ. We've talked about the S&P 500. Eli, do you want to talk about Credit Suisse? And we actually have a soundbite here to talk about that. And then you're going to give us some information. But the real risk is that these rumors become self-fulfilling and basically Credit Suisse then is not able to raise capital that in desperate needs and basically you have sort of a run on the bank. So it looks a bit like a Lehman Brothers situation. Lehman Brothers even going into its downfall looked pretty sound on paper as well. Its capital ratios were quite decent at the time and suddenly the bank was gone. I had a, I had a client come in on Friday and typically when we have clients come, one client come in or a couple clients come in asking questions on one topic, that means that more people are thinking about it than just that one person. And so I wanted to, to go back and, and look at Credit Suisse and the differences, because the news right now is comparing Credit Suisse to Lehman Brothers. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Credit Suisse, is that a cheese? What is that? <laughs> Credit Suisse is the second largest bank in Switzerland. It's a, it's a bank comparative to the size of what Lehman Brothers was back in 2008. If you don't know what Lehman Brothers was, that was a bank that, that failed in 2008, one of, the, one of the primary causes of the, of the collapse in 2008. So it's a scary thing to be thinking that another bank the size of Lehman Brothers could be at the point of collapse. There's a lot of things that go into the business. I'm not going to go into how they're restructuring assets and the things that they're changing, 
But I just wanted to talk on some some simple levels, the comparison between Lehman Brothers and Credit Suisse. You can look at the financial statements of Lehman Brothers, go back on the SEC website and look at their financials and compare that to Credit Suisse. Lehman Brothers had cash on hand from their total assets. It was 3.1%. Credit Suisse has 21.9%. So cash relative to how much assets? So they got seven times more cash than Lehman Brothers had. Seven times more cash on hand relative to their assets. And then from their assets that are securities, so assets that are investments-based, 88% of Lehman's assets were securities or investment-related. 30% of Credit Suisse assets. So less than half. Less than half. And then this one is the one that I think is even more important. The total assets to equity. So can can you cover your, your liabilities, total assets to equity? Lehman Brothers was 24.3 times. That's that was their their benchmark. Credit Suisse is 15.9 times, about half of the assets to equity. So what you're saying is Credit Suisse is in a whole lot better financial situation than Lehman Brothers was. Certainly, and I don't, I don't want to say that they're not in a in a bad position or they're not they're not in a risky environment. They are. That's the reason that they're being talked about right now. At, and it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. When a, when a stock goes down, it makes it harder for a company to borrow against their against the value of their company. Their, their interest rates get higher. So it, it can be somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy if a stock goes down. But what I am trying to say is we're in a very different environment than 2008. This, this market should not be compared side by side with the financial crisis of 2008. That's, that's really what I'm tr- the point that I'm trying to make. Eli did his homework on that and got us all the facts and figures. So, yeah, we should not be too concerned that Credit Suisse is going to end up like Lehman Brothers. It could, but the numbers don't show it based off of what. Exactly. Also on the podcast today, we've got interviews from over 200 millionaires. Not all of them are our clients, but 200 millionaires, and they talk about the habits of becoming ultra wealthy. I think Mr. Mackey may be in this ballpark and he's gonna tell us what some of the findings are. Hey, thanks Mike. You know, I like surveys like this that seem to be a little more practical that, you know, anybody can can exercise and, and, and try to develop into their, their daily practice. There are six items or six habits that this article found that of the millionaires interviewed that they all kind of had something in common. First of all, Self-made millionaires are constantly learning. Um, 49% said they took a few minutes to every day to learn new words. 61% said that they practiced new skills, learned how to do something new for a minimum of a couple hours a day. You know, it's about reading. You know, Warren Buffett, you know, if you know anything about Warren Buffett, he reads a lot. He reads up to eight hours a day. Um, he has been quoted as saying that everyone should try to read at least 500 pages of something a day. Newspapers, books, you know, my wife, Susan, is always learning. And I kind of joke with her that we'll be riding down the road. She'll hear something on the radio she doesn't know something about. She immediately goes to Google to try to learn something. And so learning, millionaires are constantly trying to learn. Number two, they listen more than they talk. The, the five to one listening rule for every uh, minute that is spoken, they listen for five. And I think that's something that we all could uh, be better for putting in practice. Listen more than you talk. Number three, self-made millionaires, they build great teams. That's one thing like here at Mach 1, 
we work hard on is establishing good teams. You're not in this by yourself. You learn to delegate. You learn to realize what you're good at, where are your limitations, and then put people around you that are stronger in areas than you are. Number four, self-made millionaires dream big. I love that. You know, they're thinking beyond the box. You know, you hear about people thinking outside the box. Um, that is one thing that we as a company have been focused on as we move into the new year is, you know, making plans that are bigger than we can possibly imagine. And, you know, and then entrusted in God that he will fulfill some of those dreams, if you will. Number five, self, self-made millionaires prioritize their health. We work a lot. Mike, you've been in, in corporate America for, you know, four decades or so. You seem to be very healthy. Lee, you're saying I'm old? Is that what you're saying? I am saying you're <laughs> not as young as Eli. But That's a fact. <laughs> but, but, but you take care of yourself. You still get exercise, and I think that is very common. And I think we're hearing more about that these days is balance, work-life balance. Um, up here in Northwest Arkansas, that's pretty easy to do with all the trails and, and various biking venues to, to go get exercise at. Number six, self-made millionaires make their own luck. Um, you can't depend on others. You got to get out there and work. You know, I've heard it said nothing replaces just good old hard work. So, you know, not everybody's going to become a millionaire. And you know what? I think those six strategies are pretty good just to implement to have a good life. Whether whether you want to make more money or not, I think they're good uh, habits that we all could implement. So the self-made millionaires, they always learning, always. When you think you've already learned it all, then you can always learn something from somebody else. I don't care how smart you are. Uh, listen more than they talk. That's a big one. I mean, you, you can't learn anything if you're one always talking. you got to take in some information. That's part of the constantly learning. They build great teams, get people around them. That could be a financial team. That could be lawyers, CPAs. That could be a team in their own business, uh, but good teams. They dream big. I just got through reading a book, talked to Eli about it this morning, about thinking about your future self. And it had an example of a guy that does uh, YouTube videos. And he did a, a one-year YouTube video that he scheduled to play a year from now. And he was getting like 60 to 70,000 um, downloads. And his goal was to get to a million in five years. In five years, he was at over 10 million. So he undershot his goal, even though he thought that was a huge goal. So dream big. It's okay to dream big. It doesn't cost you anything, right? Prioritize your health. I was having a conversation with that with one of our, our clients this morning. You know, it doesn't do any good to have all the millions in the world if you don't have your health. So you got to have your health or the millions doesn't make any difference. And then make your own luck. you got to get out and get after it. I mean, you can't wait. It's not going to come and drop in your lap. You're not going to wake up one day and say, oh, I'm a millionaire. It doesn't happen that way. you got to make it happen. Good, good, Lee. Thank you for sharing that article with us. You bet. All right. Eli, got a birthday this week, big boy. Got married this year, started a new job this year, got a new dog slash pony this year, and now a new birthday. How about that? All right. Mr. Mackey, you have any parting shots before we do our thought of the day? I do not. Uh, get out and enjoy this pretty weather. Amen to fall, that. Fall is definitely uh, in the air. We're glad for it. Eli? It's time to drive through the hills of Arkansas. Yeah, those gorges are going to turn turn quick. Mm -hmm. All right. We have our thought of the day. Life is like riding a bicycle. 
keep your balance, you must keep moving. That's by Albert Einstein. He's a pretty sharp guy. Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. In the market like it is today, you can't stop. you got to keep pedaling. you got to keep moving. All right, folks. Well, that's it for episode 122. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment. Mach 1 Financial Group, LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak to your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit Mach1Financial.com disclosures.